podcast that revisits the memories and pop culture that made the 1980s one of the most radical decades in history. We're your hosts. I'm Ben. And I'm Chris. And this is 80s High. 80s High. Chris, we made it. This is it. This is episode one or zero. Episode zero? I don't think that's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Since it wasn't like a proper topic, I didn't know. Episode one. This is episode negative two. It's like back when we're just trying to figure out what this is going to be. That's right. Of our, uh, of our new 80s podcast. Congrats. We made it. We finally did. It's very exciting. We're, uh, we're here at 80s High, and it's the first day of school. We're in homeroom, everybody. We know there's a lot of 80s related content out there. We're not the only game in town, but we think we have like a really fun sort of approach to it, and we, we hope you like it as well and, and keep on listening. Yeah, so should we kind of talk about what that show is, what our what our hopes and dreams are for our little tiny digital baby here? Let's make it happen. 80s High, pop culture nostalgia podcast about the 80s, uh, but really about everything. We're going to go into games and toys and music and music videos and books and movies and TV, and not just cartoon TV. We're going to go into sitcoms. We're going to go into weird action buddy cop dramas. Everything that made the 80s such a crazy, fun, experimental time for a culture. You know, there's obviously a lot of 80s nostalgia out there. Our first episode, you may have noticed, we're talking about nostalgia, so we'll get into that. But obviously, there's there's just this kind of indelible mark, I think, that 80s made on our culture. Exactly. I love the 80s because just looking back on it, I find it such a decade of weird experimentation. There's so much variety <laughs> in that area. It's true. And like when you think of like music and music videos and 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 the toys and games and movies that came out, it is a all over the place. There's so much like ripe, bold trial and error and experimentation that is just a lot of fun quirky stuff that came out of it. Big hair, big heart is what the 80s was all about. I like that. I need that t-shirt. That's super good. You sure do. So we're going to couch this in sort of this, we want to keep it fun and positive. And we've kind of got this structure where um, we want to teach a little bit. This is not necessarily a history education podcast, but we want to give enough context so you understand the topic for the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're going to dive into it and just talk about what it was, what it was like, and then sort of our memories of it. If we have specific nostalgia of it, uh, we may have some callers, some people, and we'll talk about that whole thing in a minute, but yeah. people who share their own memories on that topic. We'll talk about how that item you know, influenced future pop culture, you know, sequels, triquels, or inspirations otherwise. And we'll see if it holds up. And my favorite part of the show is at the end, one of us will reveal the surprise topic for the next episode to the other person. But to keep this in a logical structure, we're going back to high school. You want to talk about that? What's going on? We started talking about how do we structure this show, and it took us a while to come to the idea of 80s high, and then we're like, this is kind of perfect. You're in school, you're in high school, you're chatting with your friends, you're having a good time, but you still have to go through the structure of the day. And so we thought, why not take our topic through a day of class? We start off in homeroom like we are right now, we're just kind of shooting the breeze, and then we're going to get some announcements at some point, and then we're going to have to go to first period, and we thought, why not take 
each week's topic through a day of class and we look at the history of it. We look at the the science and the chemistry of it. We look at its effect on contemporary culture. And then we ask ourselves at the end uh, in math class, not my favorite subject. I'm going to be honest with you, Ben. No, no, How about not, you? My, that's, that's where I fail at. Too. Yeah. It's, okay. it's going to be a short period. This is like a quarter <laughs> period because we're not, <laughs> we're not math majors. We just look at it all and say, does this still add up? Is this pure nostalgia that needs to live in the past and stay there? Or does it still have legs for current day? And then, as Ben said, it's homework time after that where one of us gets to surprise. And it's a uh, true surprise. Really is. A true surprise topic. Ben did fight for this. I was like, can we pretend it's a surprise? And Ben was like, nah. Any shock you hear at the end of this episode is Ben's true reaction. Because he did give me the honors of uh, assigning the first topic for uh, for episode two. And I love the high school structure because somewhere John Hughes is blushing. Because the 80s had so much high school pop culture. So many movies and television are about the teenager experience. And so I love this structure. is such a good tribute to that. I actually, you'll appreciate, I wore I wore my shirt just for this. Some men just want to watch the world learn. <laughs> and it's got Carl Sagan, Bob Ross, Bill Nye the Science Guy, oh Mr. Rogers, and LeVar Burton on it. That is 80s freaking tastic. I love right? that. Right? And all education is perfect. So that's how it's all going to work. That's what we're doing. Do you want to, should we like, should we tell the listeners a little about ourselves? Yeah, this is Chris you're listening to. And like I said, I was born in 79. So my childhood really growing up through the 80s. And so I grew up in Ohio, kind of in the Dayton area. And I moved around a lot. So I actually got, I lived in a lot of different places, but all around that same area. So I spent most of the 80s in Connecticut. I was born in 84, uh, but my family moved to Cincinnati, Ohio in 1990. So that was part of our trying to talk about our lenses, you know, where our nostalgia and evaluation is coming from. We're both Ohio boys. We're both Midwestern boys, no longer living in Ohio. We're both in the Pacific Northwest now, uh, growing up as boys, identifying as boys. So there are limitations to how we're going to view this, but that's why we're trying to bring listeners in throughout the show to widen that lens. You know, when I was I was thinking about this, getting ready for the show, I think one of the biggest reasons, one of the main influencers of why I'm so into the 80s is, and we're going to actually get into this in chemistry class a little bit. I have a brother 12 years my senior who was born in 72. And so he was like right in the like early teen, teenage life in the 80s. It was like, boom, that was him. And of course, like if you look up to your sibling, you want to be a part of what they're into. And so I absorbed a lot of my 80s love because mm. I was looking for that connection with my brother who was living it. And so I carried that deep into the 90s. I was much more of an 80s kid in the 90s. Ben touched on a great point. We recognize that we kind of have some blind spots, that we are fairly similar, you know, close in age. We recognize that we want to have sort of a full picture. And so to the extent that we can, we're looking for a lot of that listener feedback because we really want to get some input, you know, from folks across the spectrum, all genders, all races, ethnicities, ages, abilities, people who experienced the 80s in other countries. Yeah. Uh, and we don't know if a lot of other podcasts talking about this stuff really delve into that or people who experienced U.S. culture, but 
from the outside because they grew up somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so we're really looking to kind of expand that network and hear what a lot of other people's experiences are and truly people living in other generations. If there's someone here who, I mean, we've all experienced the 80s if we lived past it. Uh, and you're listening right now, even if you we didn't have, experience have, it directly. We have no ghosts. We have no dead people listening to the podcast. I mean, that's fair. We could have some ghosts listening. Ben is okay, I just want to check currently it. recording in his murder basement studio. So it's a little terrifying. And there's this like creepy staircase right behind him. This is the worst. Something's coming down the stairs. And, some and it, someone's gonna and you're going to see the lights go out. Like in the grudge, it's just going to be like some sort of creature on its belly. I, oh my God. I have two jobs. Not just one job. I have two jobs. I have to do this podcast and I have to watch Ben's back. So yes, just know I'm doing that double duty. I don't know. Are we, are we about ready to wrap it up in homeroom or what do you think? Well, it's a beautiful segue, but in homeroom, there's there's one thing that needs to happen in homeroom and it's the morning announcements. I wonder if they're going to happen right about now. Attention 80s high. I'm Allison Dixon, here to share today's homeroom announcements. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to catch the latest show topics and a joyful stream of 80s nostalgia. That's 80s High Podcast on Instagram. Today's lunch menu is weird rectangular pizza with that shiny cheese that doesn't quite melt right, burgers of indeterminate species, and completely trustworthy french fries. Listeners, would you like to join the class of 80s High? Get advanced notice of show topics, answer fun survey questions, and share your memories with a chance to have them included in a future episode. You can even be the next classmate to read these announcements. Email 80shighpodcast at gmail.com to join. That's 80s. After school today, drop by the Performing Arts Building. The Drama Club is hard at work on their upcoming original musical, Sweep the Leg, The Karate Kid Takes Broadway, and they'd love your help crane-kicking their set belt into submission. Come prepared to paint, hammer some nails, and waxing on or off as needed. And finally, our fighting Mogwais are one win away from going to regionals. Don't forget to cheer them on. Go Mogwais! Thank you, and have a rad day. Well, those were fantastic announcements, Ben. I think it's time we head to first period. Let's get to it. Into the hallway. We made it to history class. We did. What topic are we going to cover today? What are we going to talk about? So we're talking about nostalgia. What is it? We talk about it all the time. What does it mean? Where did it come from? And how does it influence the way we work in the world? So, you know, in our history class, we're going to take a little look back and see, Ben, where did nostalgia even come from? Actually, the most surprising part of the research prep I did for this is I thought nostalgia was going to be a way older phenomenon. Mm, mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. I I thought we were going to dig in and Ugg would be like, Thug, you remember when that cave we used to be in as kids? Like before they made the wheel, you know, like it was simpler then. Simpler times before the wheel. Simpler times. Harder times, but simpler times. But no, nostalgia is actually a way um, more recent phenomenon. And I say phenomenon because that's a very nice way to put it. Because it was when it was first coined, it was a mental disorder. The only bit of history I could find was physician Johannes Hofer. Hofer, he was a Swiss physician, was studying uh, soldiers who were out of Switzerland uh, at, at war. We should have looked up which battle they were at at war. That would have been a little more professional historian-wise. It was the Battle of 1688, I think. Perfect. Yeah, let's yeah go with there that. we go. <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. That's exactly what it was. Um, 
And these soldiers longed for home. They just complained about wanting to be home and back home away from war. And Johannes didn't go, you know what? The logical answer is war sucks and these guys want to be home. That's probably what it's about. Yeah. He said, no, it's a mental disorder. This nostalgia, this longing for a time before and, and not here. So that's where it started 300 years ago. That's the history. I mean, there was a time in, well, let's call it medical history. Where they thought mental disorders were evil spirits in your head, and they would crush your skull to let the spirits out. So we've advanced a little bit since then. There's that great meme of like, I wish I was an old-timey doctor, just saying like, yo, you got ghosts in your blood, you should do cocaine about it. It's It's crazy. The word nostalgia comes from Greek for nostos and algos, algos. I don't know if I, again, we should probably look this up, but you know, whatever. Nostos means homecoming and algos or algos means a pain or ache. So, you know, the aching for home. And, you know, we talk about nostalgia a lot for all its positivity, which we'll get into. But, you know, an equal part of that is that yearning. That's a fair word. I'm glad you looked that up. I didn't see that. I I love having the origin. One look at you and I can't disguise. I've got hungry eyes. What? What is that? It was a song. Oh, my God. From when? The 80s. Thank God. I had to check it. If you were busting out the stuff from Hold 2000. Hold on. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. One. Hungry oh eyes. Oh, my God. I got to look this I got to look this up. If you're just. If you, like, I mean, it was in like Dirty Dancing. Oh, okay. That's perfect. It was That's right in over home plate. Dirty Dancing. That's right over home plate. Now, most of the rest of my research focuses on more contemporary studies on the phenomenon. 1987. Okay, good. I feel better now. <laughs> okay, here you are. But right. the more, con- you know, phenomenon is not, I don't really have much more hist- appropriate stuff for history class. Did you find more about the history of nostalgia? I guess just more what it is. I think this is maybe a good time to sort of, you know, what it's all about. It's, okay. you know, combining the sadness of loss with the joy of consolation. Uh, knowing that loss is not complete, right? Uh, nor can it ever be. I found this wonderful quote. Mortal though we are, whatever little life we have snarled from the legions of death is forever ours. I thought that was very poetic for a doctor. It's Neil Burton. Uh, it's N-E-E-L. And it was the meaning of nostalgia. And so he had a lot of cool stuff to say about it. You know, and as Ben said today, nostalgia is not really looked at as a mental disorder. It's, you know, it's natural. It's common, positive in a lot of ways. And as Neil says, a vehicle for traveling beyond the suffocating confines of time and space. What class are we in? Are we in poetry right now? Poetry. Are we in language arts? I mean, you know, maybe we're reading a little Homer, you know, Iliad, Odyssey, and oh, nostalgia. That's yeah. on our next next podcast. That's right. <laughs> uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Just want to also say that, you know, bouts of nostalgia, often prompted by thoughts about the past, uh, places, objects, you know, it can be smells, tastes, textures, a time of year, a song or a sound, feelings of being lonely or disconnected or times of transition. Those are all kind of things that might prompt nostalgia to kind of kick on in there for us. So So I was going to wait till chemistry, but since you brought it up, um, one of the studies I saw was talking about, yes, how smells and sounds can be some of the biggest triggers. You know, we think like, oh, with our eyes, that's our most commonly used sense because you just see something. So when you see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles art, you're like, yeah, I remember that cartoon. But smells and sound can be really deep. And that's, you know, this study was talking about that the amygdala is attached to your olfactory glands. And the amygdala is, is very large with intense emotions and motivation. So when you smell something, it triggers that part of the brain, and that's why it's so strong. Uh, That same region of the brain also has the hippocampus, 
which is doing memory and emotion. So mm-hmm. that's just a smell just gets in there and like, so I want to ask you, can you think of a, a time where a smell or a sound really triggered a memory, like a, a strong nostalgic emotion? For sure. Yeah. There's certain songs that I always associate with a particular time. Yeah. I'm thinking of one right now and I, for the, I can hear the song, but I don't actually know what it's called, but it always reminds me we were listening to it in our kitchen. I was probably in fourth or fifth grade and my brother was doing this really ridiculous like dance to the song and he just looked really goofy. And for some reason that is like lodged in my head. You know, it wasn't like a particularly funny moment. You know, we didn't make a big deal out of it. But for some reason, whenever I think of that song, I could just see my brother doing this like really dumb shuffle dance. (laughs) That's awesome. It's weird. But yeah. It's so good. It's not like a risky business sock and underwear slide into the kitchen. Thank God, no. Okay, good. I didn't know know how your family worked at that time. You know, it's worth asking. That is a terrifying thought. Thank you for that. Uh, Yeah, enjoy that. Um... The one that came back to me was when I was a little kid. I mean, before I was born and then while I was really little in the 80s officially, uh, my family's vacation destination was Myrtle Beach in the summer. Mm, we'd we'd mm-hmm, stay in this, mm-hmm. the, the same double tower pink hotel, spend the days just chilling on the beach. Um, it was great. And we took a long break from that. I think starting around junior high and into like early high school, we did some other stuff. We visited other places and hadn't gone. And it was like junior, senior year of high school, we finally did that vacation again. And I I hadn't been there for five or six years. And when I got out to the beach, I remember there was a specific sound of the surf on Myrtle Beach Mm. and a very distinct smell to that salt water and that beach. And, you know, I'm a beach bum. I love going anywhere salt water. I'm there. This was such a unique combination of sound and smell. Just waves of like forgotten emotions and memories back to like being a kid going there on vacation. It was awesome. Thank you, Hippocampus. Thank you, Amygdala. We love you. <laughs> we love you. You guys are a dynamic duo. Man, you really know how to bring it home. It is. Am- <laughs> it's true though. It's amazing how well those those parts of our brains are interconnected and oh, yeah. and play off of each other. That's all I have for any kind of history. But I've got. I really. I'm excited by all these random studies about nostalgia, and I want to get into it. But I'm in the wrong room to do it. Yeah, you you need to slow your roll, buddy. It's not quite second period. I do have a question for you, though, Ben. Okay. We had talked about we have some other memories. And at first, it's like, you know, we we're thinking, let's share those in chemistry, right? But yeah. I'm almost wondering, because this is people's personal histories, their mm. lives. Do we want to share some of those first day of school experiences in history class? For sure. Let's do that. That way we can dig right into the science. I feel like you're not going to let me get a word in edgewise. You're just going <laughs> to jump in. There's so many pop quizzes. I hope you're ready. There's science class. Oh, so good. Hard. My favorite. Okay. We're talking about nostalgia. And because of the show and our theme, we thought it'd be fun to reach out to the class of 80s high, which as you heard from the school announcements, you too can join. And we hope you do. We wanted to reach out to the class of 80s high, some of our classmates and say, hey, do you have any first day of school memories? Do you remember something that kind of sticks in your brain? Ben, do you have one in mind? Or should we play a couple of our classmates and see if that jogs a little something loose? Let's unleash the beasts and see what they've got for us. And maybe that'll help me get going. That's great. All right. We're first going to, uh, we have an audio clip submitted from one of our classmates, Corey, and we're going to play that one now for you. Hi, uh, this is Corey Bishop. First time listener, long time caller. I've actually known Chris since the 80s, so it's only appropriate for me to record something for your guys' uh, 80s podcast. 
So my first day of school, this is actually, I've got a memory from my first day of preschool. So my mom took me into the preschool, which I believe was in the basement of the YMCA. And I remember very clearly the door opening. I took one look at the teacher and just screamed. I just refused to go in. And I remember later sitting at my dining room table, munching on my Fig Newtons from my pack lunch because I just would not go that day. I did end up eventually going, I think, the next day or so. So I did get a proper preschool education. So um, that's my memory of my aborted first day of preschool. Um, Good luck with the podcast, guys. I look forward to listening. Corey, you're a superhuman. Who can remember preschool? That's amazing. Call call Guinness, call Mensa. I, I respect your memory hard. That's awesome. I'm just glad that he is indeed a confirmed preschool grad, and we don't have to now call all of his subsequent <laughs> education into question. It's true, right? Like, at that age, like, strange, like, new adults can be horrifying. That's terrifying. Like, they don't have to be a clown. They don't have to have a machete. Like, they can just be, like, a normal teacher, and you lose it over encountering them. Yeah, terrifying. Thank you, Corey, for that submission. Uh, we have some more here, too. We do have a submission from classmate Nathan. Nathan says, my family moved a lot, so I went to five different schools during K-12, through which is pretty hard. I freaking hear you there. I hear you, buddy. I remember being so nervous for each first day at a new school. Sometimes I would make new friends out in the yard while waiting for school to start almost automatically, and other times I would sit awkwardly in classrooms waiting for the bell. I also (laughs) feel you on that part. Ugh, it's tugging these heartstrings. And then Nathan uh, ends to say, oddly enough, the most vivid first day memory from pre-K... Another pre-K memory. This is great. How? <laughs> Some of us haven't destroyed our memories like a monster. Either. Yeah. You know, we can steal trap, buddy. Ooh, but I love his memory. Yeah, go, 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 go. Okay, yeah, That's this part. is a good one. So uh, first day, vivid first day memory from pre-K when I realized I had a crush on my teacher, Mrs. Lemix. Oh! Oh, love at first sight. Did you ever have a teacher crush? Um... Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Oh, I can't say her name. That would be terrible. There's no way she's going to listen to this. But yeah, it was like, it was a very nerdy teacher. And part of it was, uh, you know, what was kind of the attraction at that age? She was the shortest adult I've ever met. I was like, oh, she's kind of like a kid. She's like a developed kid. That's awesome. Uh, I'm into what she's into. She's Um, the right height. Nathan, yeah. I need a follow-up story. Mm. Did you end up marrying her? Like, did it work out? Did you make it happen? That is a wonderful question. Is she now Mrs. Nathan Limix? <laughs> right. Man, what about moving around a lot? That's so hard. That's such a... Oh, man. I think I moved around, yeah, probably about as much as he did. He said five different schools. I think it's pretty oh. similar for me. Yeah, it's, it's not a blast. I'll tell you that much. I mean, because think of the content we're going to talk about. How many movies 80s movies are about new kid moves to a new school and has Mm -hmm. to like find out where they fit in and how that isn't that like how lost boys works but then a bunch of vampires trying to eat them it's something like that i don't know ben i have a confession you love the lost boys you were in it i've never seen the lost boys (gasps) that's gonna be one of our topics i can hear it so gonna be one of our topics i heard it in his squee it's going to be one of the topics. Oh my god, very exciting! Oh, get Never ready for seen boys. saxophone concerts. You had me at topless saxophone <laughs> concerts. <laughs> uh, we have another. Wow. We have another Colin, right? Another audio memory. 
we do. This is a this is a twofer. We've got it's a twofer. Uh, we've got Becca and Kyle to share their memories. So let's uh, hear what they have to say. So calling in response to your call for first day of school memories, I'm going to provide three, two for me and one from Kyle. So my first one is that when we were in elementary school, my mom would take us up to the school a couple days before classes would actually start so we could look in the window and see which class we were in. And that was kind of a little bit forbidden secret information. This is before, I think that's normal now where you find out and it's not a surprise on your first day, but we would, it always felt kind of sneaky, like we were doing something we weren't supposed to do. And that felt kind of like, that just added to the excitement. The other thing that I remember is in this area, we started school in September and back to school clothes shopping happens in like July and August and they're selling all the fall stuff. But the weather here is still pretty decent in September. So we would be like choosing our first day of school outfits that are sweaters and corduroy pants and completely inappropriate for the weather. But like you're not going to wear your summer t-shirt and shorts on the first day of school. There's one really specific article of clothing that I wanted to wear so bad on the first day. And I don't remember what grade it was, but it was young. And I have never been like a fashion-y kid, but this felt really fashion-y. It was um, purple corduroy culottes. It was a look. And I wanted to wear them so bad. And I think that I chickened out and didn't actually end up wearing them at all. Okay, here's Kyle. I don't really have a lot of memories other than just, like, the excitement around school supplies, like getting in school with your whatever the coolest five-star trapper keeper is that zips up and your fresh number two pencil. And also, your grandparents live by the school. Yeah, my grandparents lived right above the hill above the elementary school, like the closest house to the elementary school. All right. Enjoy. So corduroy, like I just want like purple corduroy, like culottes. What is a culotte? I think that's a thing only ladies and girls know. I actually, I always ask what a culotte is. I am always told, and then I always forget. It sounds I, like a like a frozen alcohol beverage. I, I feel get. like it's a skort. Hold on, I'm gonna, we're gonna culotte. I, I can't even spell it. Okay, here culotte. We, we need we need somebody on like that one podcast where they're like, hey, yeah, Jimmy, pull that up. Can yeah, you pull like, that up d- on the screen. Hold on, let's get our intern on that. Yeah. AV Club, can you work on that? Oh, that's a great idea. We need the AV Club. Um, oh, are you looking dear. up culotte? What's a culotte? So they're like poof pants. Okay, those are awesome. I love that they're corduroy. That just feels like a very <laughs> oh, 80s yes. fabric, too. That's great. 100%. I love that memory. And I want to get in about school supplies. Can we talk about school supplies? So, yes, I do want to make... Yes, go ahead. Actually, go ahead. He is so right on point. We're like mm-hmm. fall shopping for your folders and your pens and your pencils. And I so love Trapper Keeper. Trapper Mead. Keeper. What, what's the brand? Um, Like the neon. A lot of like girls had it. It was like unicorns and fairies were on it. It's bright pink and neon. Was there a brand name to those? It's I don't like know if I ever knew that. It's a line of those. But those oh. were huge. Oh, yeah. It's like your starter card set in magic. You're like, this is my identity for the year. <laughs> And I will pull this folder out every day and people are going to want to be my friends or come have a sleepover with me because of this folder. It was a lot of pressure. School boxes in the earlier grades had the little school boxes. Yeah, it was great stuff. And I love his term fresh pencils because that was a big deal. You had your like brand new 
full length pencil, none of this little like worn down to the last bit nub where you're like barely grabbing the metal part of the eraser. None of that. This I is think a that's full a full length a, pencil. That's a great high school band, the the Fresh Pencils. Fresh I Pencils. Would go, I would have seen them at yeah. the high school dance. That's great. And I did want to circle back to one thing Becca also mentioned. I love yes. the whole scouting out the school. We did that too. We would go like check it out. And I think kids need that, right? It's such an unfamiliar yeah. place, particularly us timid kids. Yeah. We needed to just like get a lay of the land and see what was what. No, a, a very kind, thoughtful parent would facilitate that. Someone else would just pull up and poof. Yeah. See you at the end of the day. But I mean, uh, my mom would slow down to about 20 miles an hour because it was a school zone and she just pushed me out of a movie. Drop and roll. (laughs) Drop and roll. We have one more, right? We do have one more, yeah. All right, you want me me to do this one? Go for it. This caller's Michael coming in from. No, (laughs) I want to do a whole episode as Casey Casey. I knew you were going to go Casey on this. I just, (laughs) I knew it. He's going First day. full Kasem. First day of fourth grade at my new school. Thanks, Michael. I feel like a memory from fourth grade is far more reasonable than these pre-cog, <laughs> genius pre-K children. Uh, first day of fourth grade at my new school, St. Mary's Catholic School in Indiana in August 1988. Ooh, he's good at setting the stage. I like this. I got lost walking to the entrance of the school and couldn't find my classroom. I burst into tears and went to the principal's office by the entrance because I didn't want to miss my first day of class. The priest who was in charge of the school and church was in the office then, and he recognized me from church. He walked me up to my classroom and told my teacher, Mrs. Dixon, that I was the new student this year and that I was a good student. Wow. No pressure. Don't screw this up, Michael, because mm-hmm. you've got deity endorsement with you. Right. I remember everyone looking at me because I was with the priest. Mrs. Dixon was one of my favorite teachers at St. Mary's and made me feel welcome that year. Heart emoji, blushing emoji. I think those are praise hands emoji, like the two in the air. Yeah, what is that? I thought it was like a field goal. Oh, are we playing like table football with the little triangle? I thing? felt like it, yeah. We're going to get to that. Um, Maybe. Look, Mrs. Dixon, if you're out there, you changed the kid's life out there that day. If you're listening, and I hope you are, you know, you really made an impact on Michael. Thanks for really setting that guy straight in the From beginning. From tears to cheer, that's what you did. <laughs> oh my God. From tears to cheer to a welcome year, that's what you did for young Michael. So thank oh you. God. And thank you, Michael. And thank you, everybody, for your submissions. And uh, as we said at the announcements, we, we want more of these throughout. So hopefully you'll join the class of 80s high and uh, continue to expand all of these wonderful topics. And I feel like we need to wrap up first period because Ben's salivating like Pavlov's dog right now. He's ready for the research. So I'll see you in chemistry. I will beat you there. So it was, he had an unfair head start, I just want to say. That's the only reason he won is on a head start technicality. Maybe. All right. We, we had gym class in between. We, we ran. Ah, no, but like we said, in, in most episodes, this is where we're really going to break it down. So we do plan to, to rewatch or reread whatever the topic is for the week. And this is where we're going to talk about our impressions, kind of what happened in it, what we think of it. And kind of really just break it down, like chemistry, and get into it, get our hands dirty. This will be the meat and potatoes of the show. But for this one, we're going with the science of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And man, some of the research that we did here, there are so many studies that I thought were very fascinating. So, man, where do I want to start? Uh, let's just, I'm going to cherry pick some weird ones. Do it. So, so there's one, this 2013 study I loved where that like feeling nostalgia can actually make you feel warmer. Mm-hmm. We experience nostalgia in colder months, 
And it can actually make us have a physical reaction of feeling warmer, which is fascinating to me. That's like some bioluminescent action going on. Right. I have two questions. First question, do you believe it? Second question, why do you think we feel more nostalgia in the winter? So I do believe it. And again, I think it's one of those things where if we think about the body always wants to be in homeostasis, right? We want that balance. We want that center. And if we go off balance, we're going to find some way to come back. And so I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, warmth is a feeling of comfort. Warmth is a feeling of security. It's one of our basic biological needs is that comfort, that security, that safety. And nostalgia is a way to kind of get us that. And Winter is often a period of transition, right? For places that particularly, I mean, if you're in the tropics, first off, I hate you. Second off, um, maybe <laughs> think you're better than us. No, we, uh, <laughs> you know, it's usually a time of the season where, you know, trees are sort of dormant, animals are dormant. It's just this period of rest. And I think, and it coincides with, you know, big holidays around family and people. And so I think there is definitely something to be said about a state of sort of mental comfort also giving us a state of physical comfort. Okay, that was a very uh, well-structured answer. I like that. That was very formal. It's good. Yeah, I believe it. You talked about timing, and I want to get into one of the other parts of this I think is very interesting, is that some of these studies combined, there's sort of a rhythm of when nostalgia happens. So kind of like you've touched on, and I want to get in deeper and deeper and deeper into it, is that nostalgia is often, uh, by the study, triggered in times of great uh, adjustment or mm-hmm. turmoil or change. And it's sort of your mind's natural reaction to a time that was calmer and familiar. And, you know, you are the master of your memories. So if you're in this time of uncontrol, that's something you can control is your memory of that time. And so there was sort of a rhythm when this happened, the spikes of nostalgia. And so one study said that children as young as seven can start to experience nostalgia hmm. um, for times earlier in their life. The biggest spike, though, is when you hit adulthood, either when you leave high school and you go straight into a trade or you're leaving college and you're going into adulthood. But it's it's a lot thrown at you at once, a lot of independence and responsibility and bills, and you can really hit a lot of nostalgia right then. This one study, which I would like to argue against later on, says oh that it can it can dip a little bit down as you get older into like your 30s and 40s and 50s as you're dealing with your career and your family. You're like, uh, point of order. Yeah, point of order. Those are times of big change and adjustment. (laughs) And it doesn't always have to be a coping mechanism, which is another argument I want to get into later. It can just be part of your personality and what you enjoy. This said it dipped then, and then it peaks again in sort of your golden years as you realize there's more life behind you than ahead of you, and you like to reminisce on those times. No, I think that's a good point, Ben, because, you know, I was reading about this strategy where you can draw on what's called a nostalgic repository. Tell me Uh, more. This is great. When you need a psychological lift or some extra motivation, well, there may be this natural kind of flow that's there. I would agree. I don't think it's only in times uh, necessarily where there are difficulties or transitions or uncertainty, um, though I think they're probably more likely to happen then. But sometimes you just need a boost throughout the day, right? Like you just, you want a little something to kind of carry you on. And to kind of go back to our topic of um, warmth, there's this great uh, study that was done in Southern China by uh, Yu Zhao. And I love Xinyu. Xinyu's great. Their Xinyu work has says, been incredible. Yeah, Xinyu says um, that nostalgia could contribute to survival by making you look for food and shelter that much longer. So really kind of looking at it from a survival evolutionary standpoint to say that, 
you know, if you can recruit a memory to maintain physiological comfort, even if it's subjective, that that can be amazing and complex adaptation. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I want to dovetail that. There's There are several studies I saw here of the sort of the positive out, you know, and we want to make this a balanced show. So we're going to get into the other side, but some of the, the positive reactions of it that one study said that it increases resiliency. It increases your positive emotions about the future, actually thinking about the past and being like, things were good then, things might be crazy now, but since things were good then, history repeats itself. We learn from history. Things could be good again. Uh, and actually measurable spikes in self-esteem. Again, because you're that master of your memory, but you also think of those times where it was good. It was great. You feel good about yourself because those contributed to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this other quote, recalling a love for the past helps promote hope for the future and reassures us that life is meaningful. Lastly here, the first study I read said that nostalgia is really useful to stave off negative feelings due to turbulence. And largely, like we said, you know, in these times of becoming independent, it counteracts emotions of anxiety, loneliness, and depression. It's like a self-administered Valium you didn't need a prescription for. It just picks you up. It's an upper. Like a lot of these things, right, you know, a big part of nostalgia is it kind of hits that dopamine button. And we hit that button a lot in our lives. There's a lot of ways we can hit the button, right? Maybe you post something on Instagram and you... You check back in to see how many people are responding to it. How many likes are you getting? How many whatevers? That's a hit of dopamine, right? We do thrill-seeking adventures and go on fun vacations because it's all kind of giving us that dopamine rush. And, you know, we found a lot of ways to sort of hit that button. And nostalgia is just one more of that. And it can also kind of inhibit cortisol, which is a stress response. And then that kind of helps tamp down some of the stress we have. So uh, the body is a wonderful thing. And... um, (laughs) I just had this other fun quote about the function of nostalgia. I don't know where I got all these, but I was like, these are some poets. I'm sorry. You're dropping them. It's so good. I'm bringing poetry into chemistry too, chemical poetry. This quote says, it's a strange thing. The memory of a scene from the distant past, haunted by people who have grown up or grown old or are no more, doing things that are no longer done in a world that no longer exists. Whoa. Damn. That's like some Martian Chronicles action right there. Like a lost world revisited i <laughs> i feel smarter i feel smarter just having read that i want to go back to um you know this this motivation for survival that you talked about something i thought was really interesting there's this uh 2017 anti-smoking psa trying to get people to quit smoking which is crazy you know to think like how big that was back in the 90s anti-smoking campaigns hmm. and now to be honest i i always feel like it's a shock to see someone smoking cigarettes like, if you were part of those ad campaigns in the 90s, way to go. I feel like you made a meaningful difference. Yeah. Rock and roll. But this was saying that these PSAs used nostalgia as a motivator. That for a while, there had been these PSAs anti-smoking that was just like, hey, it causes cancer. It's very, you know, it's expensive. It's an ugly habit. You litter. Your teeth go yellow. And when they switched the PSAs to, hey, remember that time before you were a smoker? Like when the air was fresh and you had more money in your pocket and you didn't have to go out in the middle of winter to stand on the curb for your 12-minute smoke break and then come back in. So when they spun it to nostalgia of a better time before smoking, they actually had much higher rates of people quitting smoking than just warning them about the health concerns. That's brilliant. I thought that was pretty cool. I love that. There's this 2012 study that talked about how you can be nostalgic for a time that you didn't really consciously live through. Yes. Because of the influences of those around you. So I talked to my brother being in the 80s and I remember finding his like Star Wars toys as a little kid and being like, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the Star Wars was the late 70s. And so I wasn't there for when the movie came out, but I was into it. 
And you know, we go back to music. I love, I love, I'm going to admit it now, Sock Hop and Motown. I love that music. Mm-hmm. And that's because whenever I rode in the car with my parents, they listened to WGRR 103.5 Oldies <laughs> all the time. Man, now that show's playing like American Pie and it's a little too late and I'm like kind of sad about it when I go back to Cincinnati. Yeah. But man, back then, that's all they played all the time in both cars. And so like as a 10-year-old, I knew all the words to like Rock and Robin. Yeah. And like who wrote the Book of Love and stuff like that. And when I hear that music, it makes me really nostalgic, but it's not because of the culture that I lived through. It's the influence of my community around me. Mm-hmm. Does that bring anything with you? Do you feel that? I feel like that is the sole purpose of Nick at Night. So, Oh, yeah! Nickelodeon, as a television network, came to be during my life. And then at some point, they introduced Nick at Night, where at my time, it was basically like shows from the 60s. You had Mr. Ed, you had Donna Reed, you had Car 54, Where Are You? You had all of these shows, all black and white, I'm pretty sure. That's why I learned Mr. Ed. I learned Mr. Ed and Green Acres. Green Acres, yeah, that was another one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, My Three Sons. Yeah, there were tons of them, right? Patty Duke Show, that was another one I watched. Yes. And I watched a bunch of those and I loved them. It was of the 50s, largely, or 60s, uh, times I did not live in. Nothing I could really identify with in that regard, but for whatever reason, I just loved those. And that was kind of an interesting choice for a kid's network to do at night. And maybe it was to pull in an audience, but I think it pulled a lot of kids in too. And I think... My understanding is to this day, Nick at Night still exists. Oh, I don't know. Or at least it did up into a somewhat recent past. That would be a great streaming channel. But like Friends is on there and I'm like, that's terrifying. So, Oh my God, no. <laughs> like already? <laughs> How can Friends already be on there? But yeah, definitely. That, that That's a great example of a kind of nostalgia for a time I never experienced other than through Nick at Night. Yeah. Oh, Nick at Night. God, I forgot about Nick at Night. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got to get into that. Um, it's good. I've got a bit of a transition. So we've talked about all the great things about nostalgia, but there are some potholes. There are some warnings. There's there are some, some blind spots. Yes. So this study really spoke to me about this because you know, having been friends for many years, that I do love talking about 80s and 90s pop culture and nostalgia and all that stuff. But when I read the study, I was like, that's me. So Christine Bacho, a professor of psychology at Lemoyne College in Syracuse. She basically said that there's a tipping point for the value of nostalgia, that she Mm. said, you've got to revisit these things sparingly or they won't have that warmth anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Like any pleasant stimulus, we can experience too much of it and it can become desensitized. She said, there's, you know, there's a saturation point. Once you satiate your need for nostalgia, it loses its value. It's like a fine wine. It's best enjoyed in appropriate amounts. It's supposed to be a visit. And that like that hits home so much for me because there are things that I've loved from past where I did it too much. Maybe like a whole year, I was like, I'm going to replay this video game series. And by the end, I was like, I hate this and I don't care about it anymore. Yeah. Or there's like a movie I loved and I watched it over and over and over and over again and kind of like replaying an old VHS cassette. Every time you played it, the reception got a little bit fuzzier and a little worse until that didn't have that value. And I think that's a risk with nostalgia that you have to be careful about. It's like a vacation. You got to go and come back just for a minute. Because if you sit too long... It's like Christmas. If a Christmas was 12 years, 12 months a year, it wouldn't be special. It's like going to Vegas. You can go to Vegas for three days. Right. Yeah. If you stay any longer than that, you start dreaming about, you know, all that stuff is in your head. (laughs) 
And yeah, it can overstay its welcome. And um, I found this great quote, which said uh, of nostalgia, if overindulged, nostalgia can give rise to a utopia that never existed and never can exist, but that is pursued at all costs, sapping all life and joy and potential for the present. All the feels. Yeah. I think this is that poet guy again. Dr. Neil Burton, you are a friggin' genius. We got to get him on the show. We got to get all the books. we'll, We'll bring him on. Yeah, I think this all kind of does speak to the idea of you sort of, you want to check in on it, but it can have detrimental effects, especially if it does not allow you to live in your present or look forward to your future. Yeah, I think that's huge. You know, some of these studies talked about that revisiting nostalgia can actually make you feel more positive and more hopeful for the future and remembering these great times. But if you taste the past, but you refuse to leave it and just stay back there, you're missing on the rest of the future. You're missing out contributing to the world, creating new great art, creating new great literature, scientific discoveries. You dwell too long and the door closes. You touch on another thing, and I think we, we, I think we more commonly just call it rose-colored glasses, mm, where, mm-hmm, where it's mm-hmm. a filter. You remember this thing so positively that even when you go at it, you're in a huge bias that you can't view it objectively. And you sort of trim out the fat. You, you trim out the parts that are untruthful, not as exciting, or maybe a little ugly, and you make it this nice, polished, shiny, um, what were those things called? Hopples? Those little Hopples. ceramic dolls? This like perfect little, I think it's a Hopple. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hubbles? What are those things? They're, I know like, they're German, about. right? Hubbles? Hubble? Hubble telescope. Perfectly polished NASCAR dinner plate <laughs> on your shelf. There it is. Um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, that's just inaccurate. It can give you... I mean, not only does it give you a false memory that you may be telling to other people, like the big fish story you're telling, but it gives you a false sense of identity if you revisit those things and you leave out the parts you're not so proud about. Yeah, that's not the stuff we tend to focus on. We want to focus on that good stuff. But in doing so, it's kind of easy to take it out of that context and just look at the the shiny thing for what it is and not realize there's other stuff that was still around it. And perhaps because of that struggle and strife, we actually appreciate the shiny thing even more. That's a great takeaway is to appreciate a little bit more because of the struggle and strife around it. That's good. One other thing I did want to mention, yes. uh, just in this area, there are similar terminologies or terms to nostalgia and other cultures that I just wanted to kind of oh, okay. point out. And some of them are very emblematic of the cultures they come from, like okay. Seinsucht auf Deutsch in German, uh, for longing and craving. This is very German. Uh, it is dissatisfaction with an imperfect reality paired with the yearning for an ideal that comes to seem more real than the reality itself. Germans, come on. Now, I mean, having you're, taken, my, you're my people. You're my people. Right, let's right. let's having taken a couple the mood years of German, I know that everything you just read is actually one 79-concept long German word. It's just one <laughs> word for everything you just read. There's one German word for it. It's great. And there's another word that I, I recognize. I probably butcher it. It's a Portuguese word. It's uh, saudade or saudade. I'm not exactly sure where the emphasis goes. I do not do goes. Portuguese. We don't know uh, Portuguese, <laughs> but I've seen this word before and it's uh, kind of in the same vein. So it's the love and longing for someone or something that has been lost and may never be regained. It is the desolate incompleteness or wistful dreaminess that can be felt even in the presence of its object when that presence is threatened or incomplete. I just thought that was kind of interesting to sort of look at it through the lens of a, a different culture and, you know, different part of the world and how that kind of influences not only our language, but how we sort of experience 
grappling with the past and our current reality and our future and how we rectify those things. I greatly appreciate that you're taking the first small steps into trying to make this podcast global, which is what we wanted. <laughs> we've got doing my studies. Best. We've got writing from Germany. We've got Portugal. You did a study from China. And then I brought in slam poet, Dr. Neil Burton, dropping truth bombs. We're like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, it's so good. He was amazing. Um, all look, right. That's all the science I've got. I love science. Thank you for tolerating all of my studies. But um. I don't know if you heard that. It's not my house heating unit. It was my stomach grumbling. Your stomach grumbling could not be better timed because after a second period, it's lunch, bro. Oh, thank God. Lunch! So we're going to hit the cafeteria. I heard there's rectangular pizzas with shiny cheese. And I think I'm going to get a burger of indeterminate species. That sounds delicious. (laughs) So we're going to grab lunch. We'll see you guys after. Enjoy extra sugar-free gum. Extra, the only leading sugar-free gum with NutraSweet gives you extra refreshing flavor that lasts an extra, extra, extra long time. Extra flavor for that extra long ride. Extra flavor for that extra long ride. When you chew it, extra, the extra fresh flavor lasts an extra, extra, extra long time. Extra lasts extra long. That was fantastic. My breath feels fresh after lunch. Is it extra good breath? It's extra extra fresh. fresh. It's very fresh. We are in contemporary culture, which uh, we will always talk about how this thing, whatever we're talking about, influenced more culture going down the road. Um, you know, mm-hmm. every as as my one of my musician friends likes to say, everything's a remix. Ooh. And so, how did this topic inspire future movies, TV, video games, toys, music videos, all that kind of stuff? So we're going to talk about nostalgia. Nostalgia is a massive marketable tool. It is having a heyday right now. I mean, we know it's been around for 300 years as the Swiss soldiers were sad uh, and missed home. Man, is it having a comeback. So what's going on? Have you seen 80s anywhere today? It's too soon. It's too soon to know. Too but, soon. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what hasn't come back? I think that's the shorter list. Yeah. I mean, obviously, movies, television shows, we all know this stuff. We don't have to go into all of them, but there's just so many. Although I will say I found a very fascinating article about the 90210 comeback, which I didn't even know happened. I read about that as well in my research. Yeah. And apparently that was a great example of overstaying its welcome. Like it had this strong hit, but as it went on, they saw their viewership just kind of plummet. And I think it was like hitting that sweet spot of you come back, but you don't overstay your welcome. And I think a lot of shows are maybe doing the smart thing by doing a limited comeback and not like, we're going to do five more seasons. Then again, some of these other shows are, are kind of sticking it out, like The Connors and Fuller House and things like that. So. Is that still going on? Is Fuller House still happening right now? I think it is. God. I, I visited. The, I visited the house, by the way, when I was in San Francisco. Been to the I house. I to tell you, off mic, we talked about the comic strip Garfield minus Garfield. And I just thought right now, The Connors is basically Roseanne minus Roseanne. Like, that's kind of what The Connors has become. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I mean, we can... We can <laughs> We could do this tennis for hours on this thing, but I was thinking of, um, God, what is, Tim Allen had a show that came back called like Man of the House or something. And it's basically uh, Tool Time. And home it's Improvement. not that, Home oh, sorry. Yeah, it's Home Improvement. Yeah, Home Improvement was a show about a show, Tool Time. Anyway, there's sort of this blend of like whether things are a continuation, like mm-hmm. we're adding third and fourth movies in a series that started in the 80s, 
or you're having these reboots, or you're having sometimes to beautiful success and sometimes to disgusting shame, mm. uh, these things built on that we, that terroir of the 80s to bring it back in a way. Yeah. For some reason, I just got the bug maybe like a year ago. I have been listening to so much Retrowave. Synthwave oh, yeah. and Retrowave is like all I listen to. I think I sent you, God, what are those guys? The Midnight. The Midnight. Who are a newer band, but play that like old 80s moody synth, love ballads and stuff. Roosevelt. Gunship, I like. Yeah. I don't know how, but they found me. That's the that's the name of a band. They usually what? go by the acronym. And uh. they have this one music video. It's Do It All The Time, I think is the name of the song. They're like in full kind of early 80s dress and they have like an old school microphone kind of like bob barker did on um price is right price is right where it's got the little like a thinner microphone where it's got the little cable coming down yes it's like jam-packed with all that like retro stuff it's great it's great i'm into that so hard right now so we've seen a ton of this coming in and i actually found a historian who, who talked about why why right now do we have such a push of nostalgia and why is it all 80s and so mm. this guy, David Gerber, history professor emeritus at the University of Buffalo, said, you have to look back at what we talked about earlier in history and chemistry, and that nostalgia often comes in times of change and alteration to go back to a time of more stability and warmth. And we're in drastically accelerating and changing times. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's not an American thing. It's a global thing. He's saying it's not simply generational, but global is what he's saying. Yeah. There's an industrial revolution from new information. You've got uh, electronic technology and digital just at an incredible time of change and speed. Uh, you've got globalization of, he says, uh, globalization of markets. So you've got this huge international trade going on and changing what the dynamics of lower and middle and upper class look like based on where things are being manufactured and where high-end economics are that people can afford things. And so they were passing through a huge era of profound concern for the planet. That sort of, you know, I, I think of like to my parents' generation of like save the whales. And I feel like right now we're on that like times a million where you know, <laughs> climate change is a huge issue. Yeah. You know, the Pacific Northwest, every summer we're getting the smoke from the increasing wildfires and we have to worry about earthquakes in the southeast shore of the united states is getting rocked by hurricanes so we're in this time of massive growth and change and strife and so pop culture machinists of hollywood and elsewhere are seeing that hey people are looking for this comfort for this return to the familiar to something that brings them back to a time of stability and let's milk it let's get it out there the entertainment sectors of the world are smart. They're very knowledgeable that this is a thing and, you know, are, are cashing onto it or cashing into it. And uh, in some ways, like to good or bad success almost doesn't matter. Like people are willing to just give it a try, you know, so they're still engaging with the thing. I found a great website called nostalgiaproducts.com. Yes. When I went to it, I was like, mm, these aren't really nostalgia products. They've just <laughs> very smartly marketed this website it's you can just buy a bunch of stuff there's little small kitchen appliances and all sorts of things and some of them have the retro look like they mm. have that kind of throwback appeal or ooh, you can you know get one of those little um popcorn makers the one that looks like when you go to the movie theater and it's got oh, the little yeah. kettle in the middle and it kind of pops out yeah you guys have one you know things like that right well yeah so like i remember going to my grandparents house and they had this magazine good old days and you flip through that thing, and it was just old ads. It was old news articles. 
like Norman Rockwell, I feel like was really good at capturing nostalgia. He captured these whimsical scenes that brought warmth and familiarity to people with the same thing, but they're just a page turner rather than us watching an old YouTube clip of, you know, top 80s high school makeout scenes or like Instagram handles. It's not a new phenomenon, but it is it is having a heck of a heyday right now. Oh, absolutely. It's not new, but, you know, nostalgia isn't what it used to be either. That's dark and intriguing. <laughs> tell me, tell me what that means. No, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, we, we'll talk about this a lot throughout the show, but sometimes you revisit this thing that you had such fond memories for. You buy the thing, you pick it up, you get the anticipation, you start it up and you're like, this is crap. I've gone back to old games or yeah. old shows where I'm like, I love this as a kid. And sometimes it needs to stay there because by current standards, it's not good. And that's one of the things that, you know, we're going to wrap up every show in our last period and talk about. Does it still hold up? Yeah. I had all of these amazing quotes. It's Dr. Neil. I'm channeling Dr. Neil. No, he was amazing. It was so good. But I had to explore that. It's very dark and ominous. <laughs> it's not what it used to be. <laughs> I mean, do you have anything else about contemporary culture you want to touch on before we... Uh... Skip down the hallway and almost head out. Yeah, so let's wrap up. Let's get the last period so we can get this day over with. I got to run outside and ride my bikes, man. We got to ride bikes. Dodgeball! Let's do it. Okay, order of operation is Bob, please entertain my dear Aunt Sally, right? Wait, what the hell is that? Is that a real thing? It's how you remember orders of operation in math. It's like brackets, parentheses, exponents. I don't even remember what those are. And then you get into your basics, your multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. So there you go. Oh, my God. Really? You don't do the exponents first? Like if it's x squared, you wouldn't square the x first? You'd wait until you do the other You would in the absence of parentheses or in the absence of brackets. Join us next year on our new podcast, (laughs) Guys Who Don't Understand Math, where we break down the most famous equations from around the world in the most inaccurate ways possible. Would it be called Math Without Math? Is that what our podcast would be? There's a great Patton Oswalt bit that was called, um, oh, what is it? It's like quantitative analysis for poets he took in college. <laughs> that was just that. It was Math Without Math. That's great. Um, oh, okay. So good. So math is the last period of the day where we're going to talk about how this thing really holds up. And if it was good, it was bad, how it balances out. Yeah. What do you think? The good, the bad. Where are we at with nostalgia? I mean, gosh, how can you deny it? It's a fantastic thing. Like anything, the danger is when we overindulge and we seek it only for its own ends. And I think like Dr. Neil had said, it's something that is wholly yours and you can kind of open that door, peek in on it and just smile and then close the door and go back about your business and kind of know you have the strength to move forward. So obviously it's a great thing. There's going to be industries that try to capitalize on it. We know that's just a given. And so I think to the extent that we can sort of enjoy it, but not let it define us, then, you know, I'm all for nostalgia. I mean, would I be making a podcast without it? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm right there with you. I mean, as we saw, there is a lot of science behind the positive influences of nostalgia on your own psyche and your own life. You know, giving you self-esteem, giving you confidence, giving you hope for the future, giving you little physical warmth by remembering things. There's a lot of positivity to it. And there's a phrase that triggered me when I was reading it, where it talked about that nostalgia can be a coping mechanism. And I think in our contemporary lexicon, 
coping mechanism can be a negative. You can ding people for using coping mechanisms. Yeah. And I don't think that's right. I think coping mechanisms are natural and are okay and healthy. And that's that's just one way nostalgia is applied. Yeah. Is trying to deal with the stress and the anxiety of some rapidly changing situation that you're in. But that's okay. We need tools and tricks to help deal with the normal challenges of life. And so I don't think that's, I don't think coping is a bad thing. And the other thing is, it's just, it's recreation. Okay. You like to go canoeing. You also like to remember this fun stuff from the 80s that's just recreation. But I'm 100% with you as someone who loves nostalgia and loves looking back at this stuff. It needs to be done in small doses or it loses how special it is. We can't make this a daily podcast or we're going to hate the 80s. Perhaps you could visit it weekly through our podcast show and you can tune in for more. And that's your nostalgia hit. Right. Um, Since we came up with this idea, I've been waiting for this very moment. Yeah. This is what I'm most excited for because I, period, love, period, surprises, period. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Ben gave me the honors of making this first choice. And I thought, is this an honor or is he basically giving me all of the pressure? No! Out of the gate. Ah! If there's supreme failure, he can be like, thank God it wasn't me. <laughs> thank God I didn't screw that or, up as hard as he did. You know, at first I was like, oh, what a, what a true gentleman. He's going to let me go first. And I was like, wait a second. This monster but is copping out. I did not take this assignment lightly. When thinking of our homework for next week, I thought really hard about it. And this is a tough one, right? Because in the future, we can start going down weird rabbit holes in terms of like, you know, I have some stuff, some 80s properties that are very niche and very bizarre yes. that I want to shine a light on. That's not for episode two. No. And as Ben mentioned, we may stray a little bit out of the 80s a little uh, from time to time with ample warning, but that's also not for episode two. No. And we had things that we really liked, but again, we acknowledge growing up as a boy in the Midwest, like, I don't want to alienate a big chunk of our audience who maybe didn't do that. And the last thing is, is I love just talking about this because it's driving Ben crazy right now because I'm actually not talking about the topic. So as long as I can, <laughs> as long as I can vamp, this is fantastic. I'm getting, oh my God. I'm getting my kicks out of this. Okay. Explode. So I thought long and hard, and I think I have the perfect thing to talk about next week. Ben. Yes, Chris. For next week, I want you to put yourself into the chilling, into the puzzling, into the mind-bending, into the unsolved, (gasps) unsolved mysteries. We're going to (laughs) revisit all of the glory of unsolved freaking mysteries. That theme. Wow. No, we can't get too far. We can't get too far. We're going to start episode two immediately if we talk too much. There's so much to say, but everyone has a memory of this show. This is going to connect with tons of people. And I can't wait to hear what other people think about this show. And so that's again, where you come in. We hope you join the class of 80s high 80s high podcast at gmail.com. You can email us. You'll be on our list. We're going to ask questions. You can submit your feedback. You can be on the show through your own voice, or you can just be on the show. Write us the words. We'll read you and we'll do you justice like we did with Michael and Nathan. So that's it. Everyone has their homework. Ben, are you excited? How am I not supposed to talk about Unsolved Mysteries right now for four hours straight? (laughs) Oh, my God. Also, this has all been a perfect lead up. I think you're going to be an unsolved mystery in that basement is all I'm saying. (laughs) And then, like, right then, all the lights go out in the basement, and, like, episode's over. Oh, my God.
Oh, I'm so excited. That's a great pick. I'm, oh, yes. This is going to be great. So thanks, everyone, for listening to us today. We're so, so glad you joined us. Thanks to everyone who contributed. Allison for the announcements. Becca, Kyle, Michael. Nathan. Nathan. Corey. Thank you. You're a German poet. Dr. Neil Burton. You Dr. Are Neil Burton. <laughs> here with us in spirit, buddy. So thanks, everyone, so much. So glad that you joined us here on 80s High. And uh, what do we say when it's all said and done there, Ben? Everybody, class dismissed! Woo! Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical!